0: Love,
1: talk Radio. Welcome to Great Iron Blitz, right here on Apple Podcast. Tune in. And Lock Talk Radio, your host, Oscar Lopez. Episode 242, big show today. We are having in the house today, WNFC, uh, Odessa Jenkins, and the commissioner, Kay Mitchell. And then we're also going to have in the house, the uh, Jennifer King of the New York Sharks, who's interning with the Carolina Panthers. So we're going to be talking to her as well. And we got college football that we're going to be talking about pretty much for the whole hour in between the interviews. And then we'll dive into the NFL and see what's coming up this weekend. Uh, we got uh, Patriots uh, and Colts on Thursday, and then we'll dive into the whole week. On top of that, we got news and notes uh, in the international game as uh, Lexva Monterrey launches this past weekend in Mexico. We'll get results and uh, dive into that. Also, the Queens Football League in the Netherlands, Uh, started their season this past week. So we're going to dive into that as well. And if you missed anything during the week off the podcast, you can always go to the hub at facebook.com forward slash gridironbeauties. And today, officially, we are now uh, 20,000 strong on all social media platforms. So uh, awesome job to everybody that networks with us, everybody that supports women's American football. Uh, And so you go to the hub at facebook.com gridironbeauties. Go to Instagram, Snapchat, go to our Twitter, everywhere. You've got, you got news and notes coming up on anything that's happening globally in the women's American football game. So um, let's bring in the WFA All-Star and WNFC Seattle Majestics um, Holly Custis in the house. And we're going to be joined today also by uh, IWFL Utah Falcons Luis Bean and, of course, college football guru, troy wilson in the house as well so guys uh, i have a loaded show today and uh college football is what we promised last week we're going to be talking about and it looks to me uh let's start off with you holly uh week five was a good one for uh pretty much uh florida and us a usc and then miami florida and florida state over on the coast side
2: yeah, I mean it was uh we're starting to get into uh, conference play now in, in the college game and you know the the Ohio State Ten State game was definitely a classic. Uh Notre Dame put their their imprint on the national scene um and uh Washington took care of uh, uh being to BYU team. Um other than that, I mean uh, a lot of the teams, you know, play pretty well in the top 25. Um Michigan escaped uh, a, a scare by Northwestern, but now we're getting into the the conference play, and now anything can happen. So this is when it gets exciting.
1: Yeah, and oh, I I want to mention. Unfortunately, um, uh, I just got news. I got news from Burmese this week. Um, it's just unfortunate that um, one of the Alabama Fire uh, players, uh, Tashara Turnbull, which is an outstanding running back for the Fire in the last couple seasons that they've played. Um, she was in an auto accident. So, um, if you guys go to our Facebook or Twitter feed, you can get the information there. You can also follow the Alabama fire on Facebook. Um, they will have a, they will have the, uh, details on the local viewing of, you know, for uh, all these services. So our condolences and prayers go out to the Alabama fire and her family as well and friends. Um, so it was just an unfortunate accident. Uh, and so, uh, Tashara Turnbull is no longer with us. So I just wanted to kind of uh, bring that out now.
2: Yeah, it's a really sad story. I mean, uh, one of the things about the sport that I really enjoy is that, uh, you know, football is, is basically family. And so no matter what team or what league, you know, even if you didn't know the person directly. they're they're part of your family and to to lose anybody out of that family is really really sad so my condolences to the the Alabama Fire team and anybody that uh, interacted with her and her family and her friends you know I hope that um, we can do her memory um, a great service this season by having some great football but uh, it's really hard because life no matter how much we love football life is always going to um you know trump the the actual football scene and so it's really sad i i it when i read about it it really kind of uh put me in in a, in a sad state for the rest of the morning and so i wish the the best to her family and friends
1: and you know we have uh those moments that uh, i think uh, everybody has to look back on and um from what i hear um uh, very a uh, very outstanding uh player and athlete so Those are the moments that we need to remember the on-field excitement that she brought to the uh, franchise and obviously to the WFA in general.
2: Yeah. I mean, um, anytime you have a person from what I, I don't know if I really knew her personally, but from everybody that I, that I know personally that knew her, they spoke very, very highly of her. And so I, I really think that she's made an impact often on the field. And so it's just really sad to see such a, a promising life, uh, in early.
1: So, uh, so our uh, thoughts and prayers go out to the Alabama fire family, uh, the WFA, uh, as well as the WNFC, which the fire is in the, uh, WNFC now. Uh, so Tashara uh, Turnbull, uh, passes away, of uh, an auto accident, a motorcycle accident to be precise. All right. Um um troy let's move on to uh holly's kind of like this is kind of crunch mode now because we're getting into week six in college so uh at this point you got miami out there you got uh north carolina i mean you got the top teams always in the top five of course you got clemson ohio state alabama but there's other teams kind of trekking into the top 10 into into top 20 top 10 so that's kind of like how it gets all exciting Yeah, I mean,
3: and I already talked about uh, Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is on the rise. I mean, you know, they beat Michigan uh, the first game of the season. Uh, They just came off a huge win against Stanford, uh, who had previously beaten Oregon the week before. And, you know, Stanford is a strong team. Michigan is a very strong team. But, you know, Notre Dame has its work cut out for it. But you know what? I mean, when they made the change at quarterback to Ian Book, that kind of, opened up their team and gave them more of a presence from the passing standpoint. I mean, they could already run run the football. They could already play defense. But now they're threatening the passing game, and that just changed the whole dynamic for that team. And so now Notre Dame is kind of, um, you know, they're kind of interjecting themselves into, you know, national championship conversation and, and of course, uh, trying to be eligible for the playoffs. And then you also have a team like Auburn, who, you know, in their division, I mean, they took an early loss in the beginning of the season. But in the SEC, they really get a chance to, you know, bolster their schedule because they're constantly going to be playing uh, top-tier teams. And, of course, they have their annual meeting with Alabama at the end of the season, and that's always their measuring stick. So those are really two teams right now that I would say that's in the top ten who are really threatening and trying to make a push for this, fine, you know, in in, um, in the next coming weeks to kind of position themselves for a playoff berth.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that's going to be kind of crunch mode. Um, being on the other side over in the Mountain West and, and the West side, you do have some teams, you know, trying to get into this, uh, you know, dance. You have uh, Stanford at 15, uh, I believe. I mean, my UCLA Bruins are just like crap. But anyways – you got Stanford out there pretty much uh, in terms of the top 20 uh, on the West coast. And I don't see anybody else on the West coast really except for Stanford. So it's kind of a one, one team out there on the West right now.
4: Well, yeah, I know Holly was so kind and pointed out that man, my BYU <laughs> were horrible, just horrible. Washington just was looked great. They just had an answer for everything BYU did and their quarterback, I think only missed on two passes. I mean, it was 18 for 20 or 20 for 22. I mean, we just made him look so good. So I think Washington is a real viable threat if you're talking on the west side. Um, I don't think the Pac- the Pac-12 is that strong this year, other than Stanford. Colorado was undefeated this past weekend. Now I can't remember. I think they won. Still don't under- forget my ducks. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the ducks are still fighting. Um, so it just depends on, you know, the Pac-12 is just – they can just knock each other off. So uh, – but Stanford's just tough. I mean, they're just tough. And um, it just depends on what happens on the West. So, I mean, in the Pac-12 as far as when they – when they play, who they play. They're all just really good athletes on those teams. So I don't see anyone else, though, uh besides the ones we just talked about, making a play for it. Um, And, yeah, Notre Dame, they're looking good. There's four undefeated SEC teams right now. And I heard something today that Georgia and Alabama have only played once in the regular season in ten years. So they work things. the, The assumption was that the SEC works things to make sure they try and get as many SEC teams in the final Four. So.
1: That's kind of crafty.
2: They definitely do that. They definitely, definitely do that. One of the things about the SEC that's interesting is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy with a lot of the teams there. They have so much talent in the SEC that um, a lot of the other leagues will only have three out-of-conference games, but the SEC will have four. And that's always been a big controversy that they can get away with having uh, four cupcakes on their schedule because the other eight games are going to get, be against strong teams. Um, but sometimes what happens with the SEC is because they're in two different divisions they, and there's multiple teams, you can only – and there's, there's uh, so many teams that you're not going to be able to play everybody even in your conference. So they're, depending on how the schedule works, you may have a, a scheduling um, in, in your favor that you don't have to play the top teams in the other division that year, and so the SEC, even though they're very, very strong, they are very smart, and then they'll have four cupcakes on their schedule, automatically get four wins, and then they only have to win, you know, another two to three games to get into a bowl game, um, and so they are very crafty.
4: Yeah, I agree, but you know, they are the best conference, so...
1: That just yeah, means that uh, they're a little bit more astute about what how they schedule. So that's that's like a, I like I said, crafty. That's pretty good. I mean, well, it, it works for them. So,
3: well, I, I mean, I definitely agree with that. And then you also look at then then you have you know upcoming teams um, in the SEC. I mean, listen, I like the way Kentucky played last year, but no one saw Kentucky be, going on a run that they're doing right now, being able to beat a Florida team um, and 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 you know positioning themselves right now in the right number 13 and you know their schedule of course they still have to go through murderers row in the sec but listen sometimes it does work out and i agree they do do some you know creative scheduling but are they going to have that matchup um against georgia to have coming up i mean they got texas a&m this weekend that's not an easy out i mean texas a&m really took you know they gave uh, alabama a few shots and they just finished um uh, being an Arkansas team this weekend, so that's no easy out. You got Vanderbilt, Missouri, and then they have to play Georgia, but they get to play Georgia at home, and that's that's going to be an exciting matchup for them, you know, three weeks down the road, so I'm looking forward to it. it I do agree, though, they do have a lot of cupcakes on there, but I think, you know, sometimes it does work out in this favor. You get you do get to see these marquee matchups, but you don't want these teams beating each other off all season. Cause I, you know what? the ranking shake out the way that they do at the end of the year. If you have an Alabama that plays all the top teams in the SEC or, you know, vice versa, and some of those teams are going to get knocked down. and You may not have any of them in the playoffs, and they are the best conference. So, I think the fans want to see those guys up there.
2: I would agree with that. I think also, um, I wanted to first far as the, the West Coast. Um, I think People are not uh, giving the Pac 12 a lot of love this year. And one of the reasons why is because the Pac 12 always beats up on each other. And that's the, the argument, you know, versus the, the SEC scheduling multiple cupcakes is that the Pac 12 has an extra conference game. And anytime we've had strong teams at the top, they typically knock each other off. And because they don't have the public perception as being a stronger conference, a lot of the times they'll look at an SEC team with two losses as more valuable than a, a Pac-12 team with one. And so that's the big issue. So in the Pac-12 and some of the other conferences, sometimes you have to you have to win out basically to get into that conversation. And if you have one loss, you might be able to get into it, but you are definitely out if you get two losses. And uh, so right now in the Pac-12, you have Washington, who by far has been the stronger team the last couple of years, Stanford is still really strong, but Oregon is the wild card because Oregon in two weeks plays Washington, and if Oregon's able to knock Washington off since they both have one loss, then Oregon is now it would be in the driver's seat uh, for that uh, division and would have the chance to go to the Pac-12 championship, maybe not make it into the college football championship, but don't count out Oregon is basically my claim here. You know and- what?
4: I, I- – Okay, oh, I'm sorry, Bean. Go ahead. I'm just saying it's a big deal to Holly, so we got to make sure we give her some love for that one. So. Yeah, I
2: try <laughs> not to be too biased, but when my team is doing well, I like to throw it in there. You know. <laughs> How to do
4: it? You,
3: you know what? I mean, you you bring up a great point about the Pac-12, and I wanted to kind of uh, chime in as far as Bean mentioned them already. I think the team that people always forget about that's always playing a factor, especially the past two years is the Colorado Buffaloes. I mean, they, they're they constantly overlooked. But, listen, they have they have a pretty good defense. They don't allow a whole lot of points. Steven Montez, he's building upon, the, you know, the season that he had last year. And he looks like a viable quarterback. He's a dual threat guy. You know, um, and he can make some noise. I mean, and listen, in the Pac-12 South, they really don't, you know, they really don't have a whole lot of, competition over there, except with the exception for, uh, for USC. That's going to re- be, really be their biggest test. They have Arizona State this weekend. That could kind of go either way. Depends on what team shows up with Arizona State. They're kind of a wild card uh, where Hermet was down there. Um, but I'm really looking to see how Colorado can build on their team. Listen, we, we saw how Colorado had their program. Well, some of us did. You know, my age, back in the 90s, and you kind of want to see them go toward that. And I think that really will help put a spotlight on that Pac-12 because I do think that they are overlooked um, because of so much attention is being paid to the East Coast teams or the teams in the South.
2: I, I that agree. makes sense. Um, uh, the thing about Colorado I find interesting is that you're right. Back in the 90s, they had Heisel who I couldn't stand as a coach, But they they had a really, really good run there, and then they kind of fell off the planet. And then they had a decent run, and then they got really, really bad for maybe four or five years when they first joined the Pac-12. But the last three or four years, they've rebuilt that program. And there's a reason why Oregon took their defensive coordinator, and there's a reason why he has taken our defense from really bad to really solid and they've developed some talent there on the field and in the and the coaching staff and so Troy is absolutely right colorado is a team definitely on the rise right.
4: well let me just jump All in, right in real guys. Quick. go ahead louis ucla are, aren't good so you got to you got to jump on that the years that they're not good
3: absolutely
1: All right, guys. Uh, let's go into the huddle. Uh, sponsored by Zazzle.com. You, gets, you get your t-shirts, leggings, shirts, everything at Zazzle.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties. And we are going to be talking right now to uh, Jennifer King, Team USA member, as well as New York's Sharks Division II champion and Transatlantic champion. So, Jennifer, welcome to the show. How you doing?
5: I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me.
1: Jen, uh, it's been a huge year for you in the news. You're like over, uh, the same, you're in the same mode as uh Welter and Sketchler and everybody else. They got imp- opportunities. Uh, Brownson now over in Dartmouth. So it's, uh, you know, everybody that went to the, uh, the summit now has gotten all these opportunities and yourself included over in Carolina.
5: Yeah. You know, I've been very fortunate, um, to get this opportunity and, and land with the Carolina Panthers and, uh, obviously it's an awesome organization and super thankful to them for the opportunity.
1: Janet, let's, let's talk about the year you had. Um, you were in Carolina and the Phoenix kind of just unraveled itself. Then you shift over to uh, the finale uh, push here to New York where your roots were. And so you help Andrea Douglas and company there get the division two title. How, was how that whole year?
5: Uh, it's been a, an amazing year for me. I mean, just the sport wise, you know, that, uh, that championship um, was like my third national championship of the year, you know, which is just crazy when I sit back and think about it, but um, it was awesome to be able to go play with the sharks. And uh, we had a really solid season um, with a really good team and um, we worked hard and things really fell into place for us. And we were able to win the championship.
1: Jen, the, uh, the scheduling for you has got to be maddening, right? Because you're doing coaching, plus you're doing your own thing with, within the Sharks, and then all of a sudden you went overseas, and now you're with Carolina. I mean, how do you juggle all that? <laughs>
5: it's a lot going on. You know, it definitely uh, some long days, but, uh, you know, this is, these are things that I've always wanted. So, you know, you can't really complain about being busy, you know, when you get the good opportunities that you wanted.
1: So tell us a little bit of where you're at right now. What are you doing uh, that's non-football?
5: Uh, Non-football-wise, I'm the head women's basketball coach at Johnson-Wells University in Charlotte. And uh, so we just started practice uh, yesterday. So uh, we just had a practice tonight, and we have another one really early in the morning. So that's kind of uh, what I'm doing non-football right now is focusing on winning uh, another championship there.
1: So you've been very successful there as well. So bring that to the table. Um, The Sharks no longer. The Wolves are going to come into play um how was the the Birmingham trip for you?
5: Oh, it was awesome. I mean to be able to, to go over to, to London and to Birmingham with the team and have some fun and see some of the sights but also get to play uh football again with that with the squad was was really nice and also to play internationally was really special for us and we kinda got a chance to see uh the growth of our sport of the women's football internationally and I think uh, you know, they, they're they doing really well over there. It's a lot of good players, and they're doing some good things. So it was exciting to, to be able to participate there and also take the trip.
1: John, you've been a part of this global aspect of it with Team USA and then, you know, tryouts and the women's football games and everything else. Do you think all those things have just benefited everybody in terms of the international scene? Because in, in Sweden and in Finland, they, they play very good ball out there, and you can tell with Helsinki and and now, you know, the the uh, Great Britain uh, atmosphere is just so hungry for the sport. Yeah, I mean,
5: it's, it's been great to see the sport grow go- globally. And, I mean, you know, I wasn't on the USA uh, team, but just to be able to participate internationally and see the growth, I think that's what it's all about. It's just for us to grow our sport. And I think it, it's headed in a, a really good direction. You know, if you look here just over the years, how the sport has improved and, um, the players are getting better, coaching is getting better, and just it's becoming a a much better product now. Um, and it's exciting to see just someone who's been in the game for a while to see the growth and and see things getting better. It looks like there's a really bright future, you know, for women's football, and that's that's super exciting for me. You know, as you know who knows how long I'll be playing, but just I feel like it's in good hands.
1: Jen, uh, all the news that comes out, you got Colette New York, you got. Uh... Uh, Cali in New York and then all of a sudden Cali's in Dartmouth um, got hired there you got Katie in San Francisco Uh, a lot of the players that you played against over the years in in the WFA and the IWFL now have gone into coaching so it's kind of like the next wave that we expected and now it's a reality.
5: Yeah absolutely and I I think uh, it's special to, to see people be able to get those opportunities and be prepared enough to go in and and make an impact, you know, with these teams. And I think that that's really important for, for people wanting to, to do this and kind of follow our footsteps is make sure, you know, you're prepared. That's the main thing I can say. Everyone, a lot of people want to do it, but make sure you prepare yourself uh, for those opportunities that you may get.
1: Jennifer, Coach Rivera, uh, one of the, the people out there at the summit that was initially there, the couple summits, um, how has he helped you or – in what format were you able to get onto this Carolina uh, franchise?
5: Uh, he's been great, you know, and I, I think uh, his leadership has definitely just trickled down throughout his staff and, and the players as well. You know, they've been awesome. Um, haven't had any problems with anybody. You know, it's a lot of respect and love from, from the players and other coaches that are very welcoming. And, um, you know, if we continue to keep in touch and, um I think it's been really cool, just a cool experience. And, obviously, I landed with the Panthers, and I don't know how other organizations are ran, but I think the Panthers is, a you know, a A-plus a organization for the things that they're doing for diversity. So uh, it's definitely been a special opportunity.
1: All right. So, Jen, I'm going to have uh, the roundtable here kind of pick your brain about all this stuff that you've – all this great season and then, obviously, your internship. So let's, let's start with Holly Custis, who you're probably familiar with.
5: Mm -hmm. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. How are you doing?
2: Good, good, good. Um, So I know that uh, you've been around the sport for a long time, uh, but just for people that may not know, how did you get into football?
5: Uh, I've been a football fan my whole life, and uh, after college I went to Australia to play some basketball, and when I got back, uh, I had a friend reach out to me about playing football and it was uh, kind of love at first sight, you know, something that I always wanted to do. Um, and just my mom never really let me do it, but uh, I was able to, to get out with the Carolina Phoenix and uh, I just kind of took off from there.
2: That's awesome. I think uh, it's really interesting to find out where, where people came from because everybody comes from uh, different backgrounds and, and finds out about the sports in different ways. So I've, Find it uh, fascinating, um, mm-hmm. and uh, congratulations on your your stint with the Panthers. Um, I'm a, a Niners fan, but the Panthers have always been like kind of a secondary team for me. I just enjoy the way that they run their program. Um, so uh, I think it's awesome that you get to to work with them. Um, what has the biggest challenge been in coaching in the NFL so far?
5: Uh, I mean, obviously the biggest challenge is just, you know, there, there's so much. You know, obviously I work with the receiver, so uh, it was so much to the offense. And trying to learn everything uh, has definitely been the, the biggest challenge, I would say. You know, obviously um, I had full access to everything, so everything that I need to learn is there and everyone's very open to any questions I may have. So that was probably the biggest uh, curve with just learning the offense because obviously now a lot of people run spread offenses, in women's football and all levels, and then you know NFL is still there's some spread principles to it, but it's a it's a lot more terminology and um, things going on. So just to kind of get adjusted to that, uh, which I kind of learned along with some of the players because we have North Turner, uh, who came in with the new offense.
2: Awesome. How big is that that playbook? Is it you know like a thousand pages? Are we talking about like the Odyssey? Like how big is this thing? <laughs>
5: <laughs> it's big. I don't, I don't know exactly how many pages, but I know there's about 30 or 30 pages or so, just formation. So um, it's a lot going on. <laughs> awesome.
2: Um, uh, what has surprised you so far about your scent with the Panthers? Uh, have you been surprised uh, about how people have received you? Has there been anything that you didn't expect uh, to happen that's happened?
5: Uh, I think the biggest thing is just how it was received. Cause obviously going in, you just don't know what, how you're going to be received and how it's going to happen. And the guys have been great, you know, uh, and they've, you know, the, the receivers room has been awesome. I feel like I'm just kind of one of them, you know, we joke around, clown around. Uh, they, they don't look at me as the as, as female coach, you know, we kind of just kind of like as as usual. And I mean, my first day there, Luke Kinkley comes up to me and sticks his hand out and shakes my hands like, hi, I'm Luke, you know? So I think, that kind of sets the tone for how things are going to go. And obviously I already knew who he was, <laughs> but, you know, for him to do that, I think was really big. And um, it just kind of shows what kind of people they have in the organization.
2: Awesome. And then my final question is what is Cam Newton like and does he offer fashion advice or what's up with that?
5: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cam's awesome. You know, I think one of the biggest, I mean, he's a, he's a great leader. You know, I, I never knew how good of a leader he was and, uh, you know, he's great in the film room and in meeting rooms and I think the team really follows him um and his in his leadership and I think he has a, a great balance between joking and being silly and then being super serious when it's time to be. And I think that's what people like 'cause he's he's super funny, he says funny things and um but then when it's when it's time to get to work he does that. And you know, I don't think anybody can compare to his style, you know, no one can touch the sauce the drip as we call it. So uh, you know, he's definitely in a league of his
2: own. Awesome. I, I totally always like that about Cam. Um, you know, he's kind of a, a big kid, and it's important to have people on your team that remind you that it's fun. So that's awesome. Uh, well, uh, you know, I hope that the rest of the season goes great for you. Um, I'm going to pass the, the mic. I don't want to hog all the questions. So uh, is Bean still on?
4: I'm here. Am I up, Oscar? All right. You're up. All right, hey. Uh, since you're coaching basketball and football, can you, and by the way, I do like Cam Newton a lot. That's really cool. He he just seems like a, a good. Um. So give me give us an idea of what a typical day is for you. How are you meshing both these? I mean, head coach for a uh, college team is no wimpy job. So. Give, me, give us an idea of what your day or maybe your week is more built into. Do
5: you travel? Yeah, with- um, How do you do that? Go ahead. Uh, well, good. I mean, I'll kind of go back to more of like uh, earlier in the year, um, like August. Um, typically, you know, we would, I would get to the facility around uh, 7, 7.30 or so. We always had a morning meeting. And then uh after that we would usually go into uh offense, defensive meetings. So we would go into those things. Uh usually after those I had a, a little break before practice. So sometimes I would go over to my basketball office, um, which luckily is literally next door to the facility. So, um that worked out really well for me. I really lucked up on that and uh see what if there was anything in the office I needed to get done. Um, a lot of the things that I do basketball wise back at that time I could do kind of anywhere as long as I had internet and uh, could make some calls. So I would do that. And then I would come back to the facility. Uh, we would go into practice and practice for about two hours or so. And then I would go in and uh, I kept charts during practice. So I would make sure I went in and uh, got my charts broken down and packed up for the receivers coach so he could have them. And then usually we had a offensive staff coaches meeting um, and we would go over to practice film and things like that. And uh, then we would have our offensive meeting uh, and then everyone would come in and review film. And then we usually break out into position meetings. So we would have, we would be in the receiver room for uh, about an hour and a half or so. And then sometimes we would have evening meetings. Sometimes the players would get to go home um, and like in the preseason, we would kind of start breaking down film and, and things of the upcoming opponents. And one of the things that I did, uh, I made, out cut ups of pretty much every D B that we would face from the other teams, I would make uh go through about five games or so and just make cut ups of plays of just them so our receivers could go into the meeting room and just watch uh certain players if they wanted to. They didn't have to watch whole games or anything like that. So um that was one thing I did to kind of make their, their job a little easier and save them some time as well. So um usually with all that, I mean my day would end sometimes around eight or eight thirty, something like that. And Um, come home and get ready to do it all over again the next day.
4: So when is it changed recently because now you're
5: doing basketball? Right. Yeah. It's different now um, because I'm with basketball and we're still trying to work out kind of a role, you know, with the Panthers how we're going to try to make this work. Um, So I'm kind of waiting on some things now with coach Rivera and and the owner as well to see what we're going to be able to do. So. Um oh. obviously my workload there is, is a lot less now because we're in basketball. <laughs> so
4: oh, very cool. Well then my last little quick yeah. question is where do you live? Because did you play for the Sharks all last season, but you now live in Charlotte or how did you do that?
5: Yeah, I live in Charlotte. Um I live downtown Charlotte. Uh and I just um also in there, you know, I have a I grabbed a part time job, I was with Delta so I was able to fly for free. So the Sharks helped me some, and then that helped me some to be able to get back and forth to practice and games. And um, we had, luckily it all worked out with the Panthers, and I only missed one day for our national championship game, uh, which happened to be in Atlanta. So I was able to just drive down from training camp for the game, and I came right back after the game.
4: Oh, okay. So you you commuted to New York for the yes. season, went to London. Did the did the whole uh, preseason? So holy moly, yeah, that's that's a good that's a lot of good stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, way to go! It was, it's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not, way too much fun. Just way too much fun. So. <laughs> congratulations! I'll turn the mic over.
5: Thank you. Hey Jen,
1: all right, Troy, you're up. Hey Jen, how's it
5: going? I'm good,
3: man. How you doing? I'm hanging, I'm hanging well, I mean first of all i, I just I just want to say, um, you just made me feel extremely lazy just now, um <laughs> you know <in> first, <laughs> I just you know my work ethic is terrible, and I just need to you know look in the mirror after this um, so one of the things I wanted to ask is some of the things that you're learning with the Panthers organization um how do you think you do you do you have a plan on how to kind of translate some of that stuff to you know operating how you do for the basketball team and also you know for um you know future football operations um you know for business purposes things of that nature so like what is the goal for you during this internship
4: yeah
5: I mean my ultimate goal is to to permanently get into football and I think this is uh been a great. I mean I've learned so much and one thing I learned early was just how high the standard has to be in the NFL, you know. Uh everything, every little thing is important. So, you know, if you if your receiver split is supposed to be two yards off the numbers, you know, don't be at one and a half, you know, be at two. And those are the kind of things that, you know, that you have to do to be successful and I think that's something that obviously my basketball team was super successful last year, but I feel like this year, just because we're coming off a championship, our standard has been even higher. And that's something that I've preached to my basketball team. It's just, you know, your, your standard has to keep growing and and get higher and higher in order to be successful. So I think that's one of the major things I learned. And, and football-wise, obviously I've I've learned a ton. You know, I've been in on all the meetings and uh, film sessions and everything. And Coach Turner, I love his offense, and I've learned a lot from it. And also with the receiver coaches and, and other coaches as well, uh, just – continue to learn as much as possible and even though I've been with the receivers even the defensive coaches have been welcoming you know I've talked to the defensive coordinator or one of the DB coaches quite a bit you know just to share things and um, just to kind of be well-rounded in everything that I want to do. Yeah I mean I'm fascinated by that I mean just you know having to
3: make sure everything is very detailed I mean especially when you're dealing with you know, a multi-billion dollar organization like that. I mean, everything does have to be right up to a T. How how do you feel like, you know, because there are a lot of diverse backgrounds um, uh, in that organization and people coming from all walks of life. How quickly do you think that you acclimated to, like, their schedule and how they do things uh, with the Panthers? Because it seems like, you know, just from listening to you, your work ethic is right on par with that. So, uh, how long do you think it took you to acclimate to that to that um, to their standard? I guess.
5: Hey, I think I, I was able to acclimate myself, you know, pretty quickly, just because you know you mentioned I, I've been busy and you know I, I really work hard at, at the things that I do. So, uh, I mean, you know, when we were in training camp, it wasn't uncommon to have days, you know, fourteen-hour days sometimes at least. So, um, obviously, you want to love what you're doing, but that just creates a a, a sense of urgency and work ethic that you know obviously is unparalleled to uh, so many other jobs and things that people do. Because people, obviously fans of teams, they just go to the games. You know, they have no idea what goes into before the game and and even you know being on the offensive side of the ball, what goes into making one play call. You know, there's a ton of stuff that goes into that with analytics and all kinds of stuff. So uh just to to really see how much goes into stuff and really the detail that you need has just been. Uh, Super impressive for me. And my last question would be, um,
3: when you see yourself, um, you know, being involved in football, do you see yourself being involved in the coaching aspect or do you see yourself being involved in operations? Because either way it looks like it's, you know, your plate's going to be really full uh, either way. So which one are are you kind of angling for? Uh,
5: Yeah, I want to be on the coaching side. You know, I have a coaching background and, Um, That's what I've been doing, you know, with the Panthers, and, uh, you know, my opportunities have grown and my responsibilities have grown uh, in my time there, and I think, you know, that kind of shows that I've kind of proven myself, you know, just with them being able to to add more things to my plate and and trusting me with with certain things, so um, I think my, you know, my spot is definitely on the coaching side of things. Hey, Jen, listen, I, I think that they're lucky to have
3: you there, um, you know, and I, I think you will fit in extremely well with the work ethic, I, I see nothing but success for you going forward, uh, and seriously, well, I'm going to keep my eye on you, you know, the Redskins are playing the Panthers in, in the next week, so I'll be out there looking out for you, right, I, hope, I, I hope I get to see you out on the sideline, because I'll be at the games and all of that, man, so, I'm definitely going to be looking out for you, Ruth, before you going forward, and we're definitely going to keep tabs on you. Hope you decide to come back and talk with us again because it was fascinating, and thank you so much for that.
5: No doubt, man. I appreciate it, and, you know, anytime, you know, anytime you guys need me, I'm available.
1: All right, Jen, uh, what an exciting year you had. We just wanted to bring you in because you've had such a, a great season, and then on top of that, overseas, and now you're this huge opportunity so we can only uh you know wait for something big like toy says uh in terms of formal news and stuff like that so you know Katie being in San Francisco votes well for everybody else because if they see the value there uh, and like you said your work and and you're you're providing all that, I'm pretty sure Coach Rivera will take that into account so um I, Jen uh, are you playing next year that'll be the question or are you st- are you sticking strategically just to coaching now?
5: Uh, As of now, you know, I plan on playing. Um, You know, it just depends on what opportunities present themselves and and everything. So, you know, I'm still training and still play some flag football. So, um, as of now, I'll still be playing. So, we'll we'll just see what happens.
1: Are you thinking on the Wolves, or are you staying locally with uh, a local team in Carolina?
5: Uh, I really haven't even decided yet. You know, I really haven't looked that far ahead. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we'll see what happens.
1: All right. So, uh, Jen, thank you for making the time today. Always uh, a pleasure to have you on and uh, giving us your insights as well. And we wish you well. We're uh, rooting for you and uh, just waiting for the news when it's formal. And hopefully that will come soon, and we know that will. So uh, congratulations again on your success, as well as your uh, championship in Division Two and the Transatlantic Trophy.
5: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: All right. Have a great day, Jen. So that was Jennifer King um, and everybody knows her multi-time champion in the WFA IWFL, Carolina Phoenix, as you probably know, number five. Uh, And if you're a a Carolina Phoenix uh, fan, you pretty much know who she is. Uh, New York sharks as well. So legendary there, that's where she started. And then she moved to Carolina and then all of a sudden um, now she's, uh, you know, finished up the finale with the sharks and she's not done yet. So, kind of I guess good I guess in a way because I you would think at this point the concentration would be just doing coaching and going forward but there's still that itch right Holly
2: well I I think any time that you have a true football player in front of you it is always really tough to say when it's time to to retire and you have to basically evaluate yourself at the end of each year and say okay do I have enough in the tank to do this again because everybody is going to want to and if our bodies didn't break down and get older and we all live to be a thousand, we would play forever. And so, I mean, all the more respect to her if if she's able to to have all that on her plate and still play, then, then hell yeah, she should still play.
1: And she's multi-talented quarterback. She's a receiver. Uh, I mean, she's got positioning pretty much in her career. In other words, she's, she's played various positions. So, and successful in Carolina as well in the W in the IWFL uh, years. And now obviously finishing up with the Sharks. So uh, hopefully, or we might see her in a New York wolves uniform coming up this season, given uh, her, you know, her history with New York. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, But uh, we'll go, you know, we'll figure out and we'll wait and see, but I'm more excited about the Carolina opportunity and see if, she's going to get on board just like Katie Sowers did. So that's going to be good. Um, So being um, let's see here. Let's talk about uh, before we bring in our next guest on, uh, we have the women's uh, USA women's football hall of fame. Uh, I want to just uh, thank the organization for considering me for the media honor award. Um, It is obviously an honor to be mentioned with 37 other talented athletes uh, that are recognized in this sport. Um, And famous names as Jen Wolter and Allie Hamlin and uh, Sammy Grassoffi, to name a few. And so um, that's going to be a huge event coming up. So give us the details on that event, Louise.
4: You know, um, it started last year, and Holly got to play last year as well. And it's just a semi-pro men's organization that's been having all-star games for a long time. And they just felt like they wanted to honor women. And they have a men's Hall of Fame. And I think sometimes people, the, the word Hall of Fame, we like to connotate it and, and synopsize it with NFL Hall of Fame, which has been going on for many, 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 many years. And there's certain guidelines and certain rules and all that kind of stuff. And so sometimes I feel like people think fame has to, they have so many different uh, feelings about what that word means. And so last year they the the head event organizer guy Mike he contacted Rick Rasmussen and said, "Hey, let's do a game. Let's do this." And so it went from there and the West had I don't know. I think we took like 54 55 last year and the coaches chose players. And the East was a little less organized, but it was a good learning experience. And uh, the thing that I like best about it is that we had to commit to two days, twice a day of practices. So the goal is not to just be chosen. The goal is to come show up and see how good you can become as a team in 10 hours of practice. So a week after we lost the game against Dallas, the guy called again to Rick and said, hey, Let's do this again, and even last year, at the tail end, he's like, "I really want to honor women, women football players, and I really want to have a hall of fame next year and you know it's really more a hall of awesomeness because oh my gosh, there's just so many great people and women in that have played women's football and have done great things with it and so um so yeah that's it it wasn't my idea it was. It was, uh, it was Mike's idea. And so, uh, so that part has been going on for a while, and he's like, hey, Bean, do you want to help us uh, send out emails to players? And I said, sure. And i got to tell you, that job in itself, in fact, I probably would say no now if I knew how much time that took to just track down emails for players that they requested that I uh, send out an invite to and it's not easy to get emails from players. Social media is not the sure-all. Um, if you're not friends with people, sometimes they don't see your message. Sometimes people have crazy names. I would contact, like, the team, the team pages, and sometimes they didn't want to give out emails, just all that kind of stuff. It was, oh, my gosh, it was so much work. So my job was just to send out the invite emails requesting bios. And so... Uh, and. Guess what? A lot. Uh, I, when I say a lot, I would say um, a certain amount of players didn't turn in a bio, and you had to turn in a bio to be considered. And so I see people say, "Well, how come so and so is not on the list?" or "How come so and so is not on the list?" And some of those people just didn't turn in bios. I mean, you have to start somewhere, and that was the first step requirement. And so for whatever reason, people didn't turn in bios. So that was just my job. I my job was just to send out emails and to request bios. <laughs> And um, and so on top of that, my job is more to help with the West admin. And so I, the coaches choose the players. And just to speak to that, um, the day that Rick said, okay, let's do this again the, back in the summer, um, he texted a bunch of coaches and on a group text and he said, hey, who wants to do this? And guess what? Every single one said I'm in. And so the West uh, team has um, – Coaches from five teams. The West All-Star roster has players from 16 West teams. doesn't matter what league. In fact, there's one LFL player who also played full-kit football. The East, that same day, he calls up the D.C. Divas head coach, and he's like, dude, I totally want to do this, but I'm a high school football coach, and our the state championship is on the date of the game in Vegas. So he says, but you know what? My assistant wants to do it. So uh, there's a lot of D.C. coaches that are running the – East, and I don't recognize all the names I think there's a Boston coach on there too and they've put together a roster of 60 players and um, and so they're all coming out both the rosters have been released um, usually those change a little bit like by one or two players because they, they have to drop out or something I know on the west um, there's 60 players there was probably 30 others that were on the alternate list and um, I would say, I also, part of my job was to invite those players, and there was a certain info email that you that every player had to receive so that they understood what they were getting into, what the cost was. I mean, the budget for the whole event is being posted. No one's making any money. Um, in fact, it's going to cost me a lot of money to go. It's going to cost a lot people money to go. And so I know coaching staffs and players from both sides are working really hard, but... Uh, pre-group meetings for the West, position meetings, all those kind of things. Um, and people are really committed to making it an awesome event for people. And so, you know what, I, I just think that's awesome. And uh, a lot of players, a lot of good players that aren't on the roster, uh, on the West, I can only speak to the West, were invited and they just couldn't do it. So when you look at getting to Vegas and committing to Thursday-Friday practices and then playing a game on Saturday. Vegas is a great location that time of year. It's not expensive to stay there that time of year. Um, and so I just like being a part of a lot of good people who are trying to do good things for women's football, and, and a lot of girls are really excited about it. And because I had to obviously contact the players and say, hey, you've been, cho- you've been chick picked or chosen or you came off the alternate list, people were like, oh, my gosh, I'm super pumped. So it's just a great opportunity to be together, play the sport, learn a new playbook maybe. Um, I have to learn a new playbook, and um, so it's a cool thing. Um, If the Hall of Fame list bothers people or bugs people, you know, what? I'm really sorry. (laughs) I just sent out emails, Um, and you know what? You can't get everybody, and there's always next year, and guess what? I am more than willing to not be a part of any of that, (laughs) and other people can help with that Um, because it's a whole lot of work. I, I can't even tell you how many hours that myself and a bunch of other people have put into this. And I just think it's, it's a they, they're, they have a committee that's planning the program for the induction dinner. And it's going to be cool. And it's going to be – the goal is to make these people who are on that list feel awesome and to recognize them for their contributions and their blood, sweat, and tears and the money that they've put into this sport. And, and so when they walk away thinking today was a good day, and that's, and that's the goal, is for every person to feel like today is a good day. And you know what? We need a lot more good days in our lives. And um, I had to submit a bio. Um, there are people, a lot of names were, uh, what's it not, not submitted. That's the term submitted, but oh um, I can't think of the word, but submitted works. Um, and uh, there's a lot of amazing people out there. So I would hope that people could... Be positive about the people that are on the list because those people are excited and they feel happy. And and I can't speak to if you're not on the list. I can't speak to so-and-so not on the list other than the only thing I can speak to is that some very good players and people out there chose not to turn in bios, and that's their choice. So All right. I just think it's a good thing. So that's the scoop.
1: Awesome. Um, we get the details of the list, the 37 players chosen for the Hall of Fame. You can go to our Facebook page or you can go to the official page there at Women's Football Hall of Fame as well. So let's bring it into the huddle, uh, uh, sponsored by Zazzle.com, and the second huddle is going to be the WNFC Commissioner Kay Mitchell, and we have the WNFC CO Odessa Jenkins in the house with us on the Blitz. Uh, ladies, how's it going today?
0: Good evening. All is well. Thank you for having us. This is Kay hi Kay how you doing
1: how, How's your week?
0: I stay busy, but you know that's well <laughs> guessing I was just talking about it you know uh staying on the grind is good, so I will embrace that
1: all right ladies i I will tell you you guys are on like on the hot seat almost every week because uh, ever since you guys broke out on this you know new league new format, new business model, et cetera, et cetera. It's like all the women's football group board just went into this, like, you know, fire mode. And so uh, it's, been, it's been nice to have that, I guess, in a way. It's an off-season news, and, and it's kind of made it kind of exciting to follow. But, um, okay, let's start with you. You named commissioner uh, kind of legit in a way because you could have named a male commissioner or somebody involved with your, you know, your organization, but you, they, everybody went with, okay, now Kay Mitchell, you have reputation, you have, uh, you know, experience playing football. You can relate to players. Uh, you have background with organization and structure and everything else. So, um, you know, the fit was right there. So when you, when your name came up, a lot of people approved of that. Um, so how do you feel about that?
0: Well, I'll say this, it was an honor to be asked to be a part of something so special. Um, Being the commissioner of the WNFC is pretty much an extension of what I do every day, and uh, it's just on a different level. So uh, this will be easy for me, Um, not only because it kind of mirrors what I do every day, um, but I believe in the product, and I believe in the people behind the product and what we're trying to do for women's football, so um, I was honored to be asked to serve as commissioner. Um, I did think about it a little bit, but it didn't take long, and I said, you know what? Absolutely. So here I am.
1: Okay. What's your vision for this? Because you, you've you've already announced, I believe, twelve franchises. Uh, first thing out of everybody's head was, oh my God, they're so spread out. The travel cost is going to be just an issue. You know, we go back mm-hmm. to the same mode that we go every season or every other season in women's football. So can you speak to the expanded, you know, when you look at the map, you're like, okay, you got four teams out on the West Coast, you got two teams in the Midwest, you got, you know, a bunch of teams on the East, and, you know, everybody's so spread out, and I think everybody's so paranoid on just travel costs alone.
0: Right. Uh, well, the teams are spread out, but if you look at the map, um, the spacing will allow teams to, you know, travel within their areas. So we wouldn't be looking at – you know, a team in Florida traveling for a regular season game all the way to California or anything like that. Um, there's travel involved anyway in, in the uh, years that teams were playing before in other leagues. Um, but the way we set up the, the, the schedule is not as, as extended as, you know, maybe teams or other leagues are used to. Um, and plus we're bringing in – Um, some different things to be able to help teams to travel. So it gives it – it's a little bit more exciting and uh, inviting for teams to be a part of something that's different. Um, They'll be saving money, being a part of the league, and that can go towards travel, especially, you know, uh, we may be able to be able to help teams to get where they're trying to go to make this happen. But we're starting small, and uh, we think it's going to be a successful thing for all teams involved.
1: Okay, the benefits of joining the WNFC versus being in the WFA, as an example, which is kind of like the discussion that we have on all the group boards on a a weekly basis now, Uh, one really uh, term that irks everybody is what we consider recreational and the other one business model, and a lot of people take offense to that.
0: What, what, What were the terms?
1: Recreational versus business model.
0: Well, I'll say this. We're not, you know, we don't have anything against um, any of the other leagues. We're just putting out a a different product. And I like for OJ to jump in at any time. Um, But this is just something different. We want to do something different. Uh, We're not saying that anything is better than the next. We're just putting out a different product, and we're taking a different approach. And I think that that's what makes us different from any of the leagues that, you know, we've seen before in women's football. It's just a totally different product.
6: Yeah, and I think – hey, Oscar, how are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing great.
6: That's uh, awesome. I, I think that Kay definitely is hitting the nail on the head. We, When you listen to the leadership of the WNFC speak, and I know there's a lot of people out there speaking, um We haven't blatantly spoke against any other model. We just like talking about ours. And I think part of the rub right now that women's football is having is that we have the audacity to actually try and focus on obtaining a goal that is a stated goal that is a public goal. And it makes it seems like we're being separatists or that we're not valuing others. And that's just not the truth. Um, but just like any other business, if you were going to go put your blood, sweat, and tears, money, uh, pride on the line for a business, you would be absolutely focused on making sure that that business is successful. So uh, what anybody calls the WFA or the IWFL or the USWFL or the LFL, what anybody defines those leagues are has nothing to do with us. We want, we have a three-year, three-to-five-year plan to be a professional league and that's what we're focused on.
1: Odessa, the uh, logistics is always the question in women's sports, especially in women's football and that's the reason I brought up the fact that a lot of people will bring up travel as a as a big deterrent. But you guys have stated, uh, ever since day one, that you're not—that's not a barrier. That you're looking for high-level product competition in terms of uh, in terms of games. In other words, to elevate the level of of the game.
6: Yeah, and when you look at, it, there's just some model changes that I think women's football, at least in the U.S., uh, can experience that are going to help us. Um, But when you look at the teams and where they are, the budgets of these teams aren't going to change dramatically. Um, So, you know, Seattle's always been in Seattle. Utah has always been in Utah. Like, we didn't put them there. Uh, They've been in those markets. They've had the budgets that they have. I think for us, it's knowing that they have the budgets that they have. We're giving each – so we're giving each team a – a $4,000 annual stipend as a minimum. Uh, We're not taking a payment from them. Uh, We have a sales and marketing team that is going to solicit sponsorships uh, so that we can pass those dollars back down to the teams. Um, So we are putting in significant effort to simply be able to do step one, have every team play each other without forfeits. How about we just do that, right? Um, and then step two, let's have some cross-regional play. So so actually put things in place to make the things happen that everybody has always talked about. So that's the one thing. The other thing is playoff travel is generally the biggest issue, and our playoff structure is different than any league um, that I've ever seen. We have a tournament-style um, playoff stru- structure where – the four teams from each conference play in two conference tournaments the same weekend, and the winner of those tournaments go and play a national championship game. So if you are a member of the WNFC, you can be the last-seeded team and only have to travel twice to go win a national championship.
1: So your format is more uh, more financially friendly, is what's one, what I'm gathering here from you guys, because you're really doing That's it in team. a soccer-style You guys are doing it in a soccer-style mentality. Does that make sense to you guys?
6: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So, yeah, we looked at other sports. Like, we didn't look at women's football uh, specifically. We looked at soccer. We looked at hockey. I mean, when you guys, you know, we're going to be announcing our national uh, championship um, next week, and you'll see that that's not like anything we've – ever seen in women's football so we're looking at all different models uh to 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 find success but yes it's a lot a lot like the soccer model
1: so Odessa and Kay is this more financially viable because soccer does it a lot because they go regional base so in other words you got regular season you got regional base the regional base as you're talking about the tournament aspect of it then you get to move to the national stage so that's that's kind of like more, uh, less wasteful, in other words.
6: Right. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you know, if those, first of all, it's pretty exciting. You know, it, it creates um, a, a better product at the semi final level of your sport. So at the semi final level, on a regional basis, you're going to be able to have two tournaments that are television worthy um that are sponsorship worthy and so you're not doing it on your own when you get to the playoffs you actually have a um, a process by which your league can can come in and help you with sponsorships and all those things and so yeah we it, it's definitely more financially attractive to do it that way uh but it's also exciting
1: so odessa ak okay, the 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 whole community has been shaken up by, you know, hey, moving from the IWFL to the best of the West and then all of, the, all of, all of a sudden we get a bombshell, boom, here it is, WNFC. Mm-hmm. So um, what, do you, what do you guys sense the or feelings at this point based on all this reaction that you guys are getting?
0: Sometimes people are nervous about things that are new and especially they don't know all the details involved. I think there was a lot of speculation in the beginning. Um, you know, well, why would they do that? You know, uh what are they doing so different? There were just a lot of unanswered questions. Um, we put a website together where we have a lot of uh different questions there to help inform people what we're doing in the league, you know, what's different. Um, you know, just getting to know the teams involved in the process of uh, just growing this this new league, um, it's just a different product. And I think that the more people learn about the WNFC, the more they'll embrace it. Um, we are, you know, about enhancing women's football, you know, not about knocking any of the other leagues. We, we want women's football to be great. And there's so many teams around the country. There are enough of us to go around and so, you know, we want to have people a part of our league that want to be a part of our league who uh, buy into the product and uh, their their whole thought process aligns with what we're doing. And so it just makes it more of a, a family feel. You know, everybody's on the same page and we're moving as one. And so I think that that's going to be just something new and exciting about women's football.
1: Let's bring the panel yeah, in I mean, here. um, Go ahead. Go ahead,
6: Odessa. No, I was just gonna piggyback on Kay and say, I think the one, the coolest thing about all the teams and all the leadership in the league is that everybody's excited about the image of the WNFC and what we can do to all get on the same page and change the image of women's football and make it something that people take seriously. So, uh, we're excited about it.
1: Let's bring in Holly here to pick your brain.
2: Hey, guys, how's it going? Hello there. Hey, Holly. Hello. Hi. Um, so just a, a couple questions for you. We have a, a panel of people, so I'll try not to hog all the questions. Um, but really exciting stuff. I'm excited to be a part of this uh, new league. Um, like you guys, you know, I've been around football for a long time. And I, I'm excited to see what the possibilities are with this new model. Um, what are your overall goals for this first season? Yeah, so uh,
6: I, I can speak from a business perspective, and then Commission um, you can you can uh, speak from from a model perspective. But from a business perspective, we'd love to come out of 2019. Um, with from a from a league perspective, we love to come out of 2019 with a 45% reliance on external funding. Um, we talked about this with the teams before they signed on with us. Um, we that, that's kind of the number one goal. Our second goal is to have a global sponsor uh, for our league, uh, a significant brand sponsor. Um, we have our salespeople have a Uh, 20 logos um, that they're attempting to go and get in the 12-month period between now and the end of 2019 as well. So from a business perspective, it's all about reliance on our seed funding and how we want to rely less on that. Uh, That trickles down into a bunch of other things, right? If you start to get sponsors, if you start to get logos, if you get external funding, then that obviously means more dollars going to the teams and those things. And I think, lastly, we want to achieve a a league that has zero forfeit and that has a, a successful championship or semifinal tournament and championship game. So from my perspective on a uh, business level, those are those are our goals. I don't care if you have anything else.
0: Yeah, um, so basically from you know, from my perspective, just looking at the, the league as a whole, um, I wanna make sure that we're uniform across the league. Um, everything that we are doing from just the way we brand, that the teams are branding themselves. Um, nobody should ever have to worry about if you're going to play a team, uh, what type of facility you're going to be using. Um, we're trying to bring in a component of safety, making sure we're having the, the safest product on the field, um, making sure that uh, each team is provided someone, every team, and this is different um, than what we've seen in, in before in women's football. Um us being able to provide uh, a, a, someone on each staff to be able to make sure that the girls are safe and healthy. Um, and this is bigger than football. You know, we're, we're not just concerned about the product that we put on the field, but about what these women are doing off the field and some of the goals that they might have in their personal lives. So we're bringing in professionals uh, to help women grow as individuals in careers that may want to revolve, uh, revolve around football or sports. So, you know, there are different pathways um, into different careers, whether it's officiating, coaching, um, working in marketing, media, communications, um, athletic administration. We brought in some heavy hitters into the WNFC, and everybody has their own little niche that they're good at and what they're contributing to the league, and we want to help our players as well. So, you know, this is really big for all of us. And like, again, I said, you know, it's, it's 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 a family, you know. We, we're spread out across the country, but we're all on the same accord, and you know we're trying to to do something good for women and for women's football.
6: And you know, awesome. Holly, the, to to wrap that up, I think if we if we get into the summer of 2019, and we have new fans to women's football who are calling us pros for real, and that respect our brand, I I'd say we hit our mark.
2: I think that's a very successful year. If 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 um, if we're able to achieve all that in one year, that's a big year right there. So that's exciting. I know that I saw on the website something about uh, uh, marketing in airports. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about that? Um,
6: April Chrysler, who's the owner of the Atlanta Phoenix, um, last year, uh, April's a uh, uh, coding and development and marketing guru. And um, last year, you, you guys may have known that she um, ran and managed the WFW, WFA National Championship. And uh, part of the deals that April cut last year in just her sponsorship with her personal team is she started a, a process, a relationship with the uh, this this technology provider that basically converted old pay phones um, to marketing booths, and she baited that with her team and had her team's content being shared, and part of the discussion this summer was how can we, last year was just putting your stuff out there, part of the discussion when April brought this deal to the WNFC was how do we monetize it? Because before it wasn't a making a money making opportunity, so we and uh, the WFNFC worked with April and those providers and actually created a marketing opportunity, sponsorship opportunities in front and behind, in the middle of this content, so that dollars can actually flow back to the league as a result of sharing this content, and it's been a crazy um, opportunity that if done right is going to have us hit all our financial goals in year one. Um, if done wrong, it's just going to be a really cool way for us to market our games. So at the very, um, at the very least, we're starting in Denver and going to move to um, other airports as this technology grows. We're looking to get in Atlanta and L.A. next so it's it's an amazing opportunity we're on about 50 kiosks uh in the Denver International Airport and it moved it from beta to production in a matter of 30 days
2: that is awesome so they they literally take uh old telephone booths you said
6: yeah so it's a crazy thing this 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 company um because you know it, when you're looking at technology real estate is big right like When you think about Internet providers, nothing's more important than the space that they have to put uh, their technology. It was the same anywhere else from marketing, marketing real estate. And so these geniuses basically looked at this old technology and started converting these old telephone booths um, to marketing kiosks. And you'll notice them in the airport now that I've said that. Uh, but. I never noticed it before we started talking about the deal and the idea that this, um, you know, we have an exclusive deal in the WNFC uh, to move this to production and to sell it and to make it available to brands who want to market to up to five million people on an annual basis. So it's a, um, it's an unreal opportunity that we have. Uh, Now we just got to go sell it and, and take advantage of it.
2: That's really, really cool. Um, my final question for you guys before I turn it over to the rest of the panel, uh, what's the biggest challenge been so far in setting up uh, this league? I know a lot of people um, out there, you know, watching the NFL think, oh, I can start a league, and they have no idea how much work goes behind it. What would you say the biggest challenge has been? Um.
0: Well, from, from my perspective, I'll say that – I think it's challenging if you want to use that term. I don't know, challenge I, I'll take on a challenge head first, you know. You know how us linebackers do. Um it's I enjoy the challenge behind what I'm doing for the W N F C. Um it kinda fuels me. So, you know, just uh negotiating and, and you know, just believing in what believing in your product and you know, negotiating with CEOs and, you know, presidents and vice presidents of of different companies, of of global companies, you know, um, and and speaking highly of your league and your product, you know, it's very challenging, but when you believe in what you're doing, it kind of makes it easy. And then when you get that email or when you get that letter that's just saying exactly what you want to hear or even more than you ever could have imagined, I mean, we celebrate all day every day, <laughs> um, and this is across the country because we're kind of spread out. The people that are running the league, we're quite spread out. So we we celebrate um, our accomplishments daily, and, you know, just to see this thing really growing, it has really been huge. I mean, it's challenging. We're all putting in work across the board, and, you know, I just couldn't be more proud and honored to work with the men and women that I work with uh, in the WNFC. <laughs>
2: Cool. Yeah, I
6: agree with with you, no, I was going to say I agree with that. I think for me, the biggest challenge has been um, just having a solid, like we've had more success with people who know nothing about women's football businesses. Um, you know, we're bullish. Gone to the biggest brands on the planet. And made it yes. to key decision makers. And we're literally, if you like some of the emails that I have in my inbox right now, I still can't believe because years and years and years of having my own team and being bullish and trying to get those people to respond to us. But something we've done with this brand has caused um, those people to take us seriously. And I will tell you the toughest thing is to get the people that you're working for uh, women's football, uh, the owners, the players, um, to see the vision, uh, because everybody else outside of it seems to seems to get it. They, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, but it's been it's been challenging in in talking to teams who are comfortable um, and finding teams and finding players who want what we want because I think everybody doesn't want the same thing. Some people don't want a professional sport. Some people want um, amateurism. Some people want to do things just like they are and you know, want want a league that has uh you know, where where they can do things the way that they're doing them and don't want to rock the boat. So I think that's probably been the biggest thing is clearly identifying who who aligns with our model so that we can go right, work with the right people.
0: Yeah, and if you don't mind me jumping in again, you know, I, I speak about, you know, some of the challenges just behind doing what we're doing to to launch this league. Um, There are some some challenging things. You know, the the people that don't believe in us or that speak bad against us. You know, sometimes it's challenging just to read things on social media. You know, but we keep pressing. Um, We're just going to keep going forward with what we believe in. And at the end of the day, if we know that we have given our all, You know, we all have full-time jobs. We aren't getting paid to do this. You know, we're doing it because we want to do it for women that play this game. You know, we want to bring awareness to this game. We want to bring the best product that we can to women's football. And that in itself is keeping us going. And so people that are still questioning what we're doing or or who's doing it or why they're doing it, um, after 2019, they'll say, oh, my God, I get it now. I get it. You know, so we just ask that you just, you know, keep your eyes and ears open. If there's anything you want to know, reach out to us. You know, ask us. We're the ones that that know what we're doing. And every week it will be something new that we're going to let you know about. You know, there are a lot of things we can't reveal right now. But in due time it will all come out and everybody will know. You know, we just have to put out the product that we believe in.
2: Yeah, that's very, very well spoken. I think that um, a lot of people on our sport have been, Kind of jaded a bit, you know. We've had so many salesmen come in and and give us pitches, and I think that you're right. Everybody has different focuses, but uh, there are a lot of people that are are just kind of jaded. I think it's kind to of basically take some time um, and to to prove it. And I think if people are patient, they'll they'll see results, but it's going to take some time. Um, that's it for me. I'm going to pass it off to Bean. Sorry, Bean, I didn't mean to take uh, so many questions.
4: (laughs) Oh, I'll get you later. Um, Okay. (laughs) um, Because I know other people have questions, so I'll just go with one or two. Uh, You brought up something. Well, first off, I've always liked the idea of what what you guys were um, planning on and trying to do because I think, well, yeah, why not? Uh, I also agree that there's people that aren't on the same page just because, you're right, they just have – goals, other desires. Maybe they feel like a pro league would eliminate their ability to play football. Everyone's at different levels of abilities, all those kind of things. Um, but the the big thing I was going to ask was, and you brought it up right at the end, is that it's difficult. I think it's so lame when people want to go on social media and surmise or guess or or make comments about things when they haven't gone to the source. And if they wanted to know, they could just go ask one of you guys. I mean, there's like, like 20 of you guys, at least, you know, (laughs) running running this whole thing, but, uh, you know, everyone's got a title and stuff. So I just, why don't they go ask? And I think that's really weak of people to badmouth or question on social media when, why don't they just go ask one of you guys? So because I don't know who asked, do you feel like you had more people that wanted to be in or did you feel like you had to go recruit the exact type of team and market?
6: Uh, you know, that's a, that's a really good question. We just, we just, Kay and I just talked about that. Um, I think it's twofold. I think we absolutely had targeted teams. So we, we, We've said this a hundred times, but we started in the West because we feel like the West is the toughest market from a travel perspective. Um, So for everybody who keeps asking, why aren't you here? Why aren't you there? Um, We started there because we know the complexities of having teams travel and play in the West. It's tough. So we had a very specific group of states and cities that we wanted teams in. And for the majority, we got those teams. Um, we were we were really lucky um, that we had teams in each of those markets. In some cases, multiple teams in those markets who aligned with our strategy and who believed in our model and who could who were who were good brands, good teams, or who were at least good business people that were willing to build good brands and good teams. So. I think there was some of that, but there were also teams who um, flat out didn't respond to us, told us they had no interest in hearing our model. Um, There were teams who heard our model and decided to choose other models. So I think there, it was all over the place, but uh, as my, as my guy Scott McCarron says, uh, we got what we needed. um, And we ultimately got who we wanted. So um, our Plan can be executed flawlessly with the teams we have, and we're truly excited about them.
2: Yeah, and
0: there were also also teams that you know may not have made it publicly known that they wanted to be on board, but you know there's probably we probably could have had a waiting list if we wanted to, if we wanted to you know, expand even further. You know, we, the interest, the interest was there. The interest was definitely there.
6: Yeah. Yeah. And we have to be careful, you know, being, we, we just, we couldn't take on more than, than we our plan committed to. We had a plan for 16 teams. We're probably going to end up with 14 and we went, we went away from our market a little bit, you know, the, um, I think the Nebraska thing was just too too interesting to not do um, but other than that we we pretty much stuck to our plan
4: well and I also have kind of watched I mean I'm not everywhere on social media I don't even know all the groups but I've watched how you guys have responded to different people and I think you guys have done a really good job because I think sometimes in some other league situations the leadership hasn't been willing to answer questions um, publicly and I- uh, I know in my experience they weren't wanting to answer questions privately either. So, uh, I know it's you guys have done a good job answering from your own your own mouth like using your own name and also whoever responds in behalf of the organization, I think that's good too cuz you just got to like try and be a professional approach and stuff like that. My last question is is um how do you because you have several expansion teams and I know when there's Expansion teams in the WFA, oftentimes they're Division Three type teams, and and sometimes they'll be a Division Two, but oftentimes they're a brand new team. And I'm familiar with several people and players that they just want to play on a team that's in your league. And if they have to move, or if they have to change teams, they don't care. They want to be a part of the league. But how are you going to um, protect these teams that are expansion teams and make sure that they are viable? and um, quality enough and have large enough rosters to beat.
6: Yeah, I think some of it's rule based. Um so what we're doing with our rules uh, are are going to help and you guys will see our some of our league rules when it comes to uh basically the 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 blowout rule, the starters rules. We're going to have some rules that'll govern that until we can get to a place of parity. Um so that that'll be the first thing. I think the second thing is you're right from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, all of our expansion teams, uh, Colorado, uh, New Orleans has been around for a while. They just haven't haven't jumped in a league yet, so they, they actually have a decent sized roster. But um, you know, in, in Denver and in Nebraska, and you know, Nebraska has like had like 80 girls sign up. So I, I think that. The markets that we're in from an expansion standpoint are great markets. Um, so I'm not worried about – I'm not as worried about numbers. And then our on-the-field rules will protect them from things that just don't make sense, like 100-point blowouts and those kind of things. Um, but I think if you heard either of those two speaking on the phone, um, there's some good athletes and some good coaches and good organizations being run there, so I'm not I'm not as worried about them as I would be in other markets where they weren't able to attract athletes.
4: Sounds good. I'll pass it off.
1: All right, Troy, you're on.
3: Hey guys, how's it going?
6: Hi. What's happening, Troy?
3: What's happening? What's happening? Um, so. One of the questions I have from you guys is when you looked at the structure of how the, you know, the leagues that you guys were in, the WFA, and seeing how, you know, what happened to the IWFL, it had to lead to some kind of frustration. To kind of motivates you guys to want to start your own league, or was it just something that, you know, you guys just aspired to do uh, and again, you always had that goal as to start your own league to get your own imprint on. Candace,
6: uh, you
2: want to go
0: first? <laughs> <laughs> um, this is very interesting. Uh, let Let me just say that this the WNFC was, was not my idea. Um, but i I believed in what in what they're doing and what they were doing during the best of the West um I had an opportunity to host uh, an own, an owners' forum and in the midst of hosting the forum, a lot of things uh started to be revealed and um I was learning about learning about it as I was moderating the forum and um so I was sold from that weekend, and it wasn't until later that I was asked um, to come on board to serve as commissioner. But I'll tell you what, I I played in the IWSL. I've also played in the WSA. Um, I've had concerns as a player, um, you know, going to different venues, and we pull up on the bus, and I'm thinking, are we at the Little League Field, and, you know. There are no locker rooms, uh, you know. There, there are no stands, and it just, you know, or we're playing against a team that all the uniforms and helmets are different, you know. And it's sixty to zero at halftime, and we're like, "What is going on?" You're playing against thirteen people, you know. You don't ease up in football, but we started to feel bad, you know. It's sixty to zero at halftime, right. you know. Right. Um. So <laughs> at that point. There, there are so many different things that I've seen, you know, as a player in different leagues. I've been in a situation where, you know, we uh, couldn't couldn't start a team in the same city because of the proximity, you know, things like that. So now I'm part of the WNFC, and there is no proximity rule. We welcome the local competition, you know, it, it creates a, a very healthy rivalry, and I think it makes for But good football and good competition and, you know, just something new and exciting for fans that we haven't seen before. Just can you imagine two uh, teams that are, you know, not too far from each other and what that game is going to look like, you know. Um, I'm excited about what the WNFC is doing. And uh, like I said, I was sold as the moderator (laughs) during the the Best of the West um, about the product. And many of the things that they spoke about, you know, I've experienced those things as a player. And even after retiring, seeing some things from a different perspective, you know, I'm just like, wow, there's so many ways that things could be improved. And so now I get to work on that, you know, with these group of men and women and, you know, we're making things happen and I'm excited about it.
6: Yeah. And so Kay Kay is way more diplomatic than me and that's, that's saying a lot cause i could be I could be pretty different but yeah um so this 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 thing started i think fifty percent out of frustration and fifty percent out of kind of entrepreneurial excitement about women's football from Bryant Sewell and myself and I will just tell y'all frankly, yes, we were we were very frustrated. We were at the top. Um, you know, we were sold that we were in the best league uh possible for a professional level, level women's football team and we were at the top of that league and um it nothing. We we weren't getting anything. Um as a champion, we showed up and another team asked for my girls, like, literally straight face, wanted my girls to play on a field that had sand on it. I called the league, and I'm like, can you enforce something? Like, is there some? Well, you know, everybody doesn't have the same opportunities. Yeah, that that moment was the moment I knew I would eventually start a women's football league
2: because
6: I, I wanted something better for the athlete who wanted something better. Like, there's a lot of women coming into women's football that don't know no better. So you tell them, hey, you're going to play on um, this this fan and I'm going to give you a helmet and you're going to pay $1,000 and it's going to be awesome because you got a sister who They're going to say yeah and they're going to do it for 20 years. Well, that's not what I'm about. That's not what the WNFC is about and that's not what these teams are about. So, yeah. Absolutely, there's frustration, and I think for me, if I know that somebody is taking thirty eight percent of every dollar that a team gives to a league and putting in their pocket as a salary, I don't have what i ha- what I need as a team, then I'm not going to be a part of it.
3: I'm with that I'm with that so Absolutely. you know
0: we we have Sorry, expectations. We have expectations, and um, we're just setting the standard a little higher. You may have seen um, in our social media banners where it says, uh, you know, standard standard of excellence. There is a standard of excellence that we have for uh, all of our all of our member teams, and so you know we're going to hold them accountable. You know, and I think that experiencing or, or even witnessing. I'll give you another example. Uh, a team traveled six hours to play someone and they got there and the team forfeited and nothing was done about that. You know, what what do you do to to help this team out that traveled six hours? You're talking about bus and food and people took time off their jobs, you know, like that's, that's not going to happen in the WNFC. You know, we, we are going to hold our teams accountable
3: uh, awesome, yeah, I mean, and you know what? And you do see a lot of that, and so you know sometimes we'll go through the standings, and you'll see that two to nothing there, and then you know in the first week, and then you'll see two two to nothings, and then it starts to get more and more, and then you also see mm-hmm. like it's a common thing amongst you know like one particular organization, and then you know you may have a team that gets canceled or it cancels their season, and that kind of throws everything in flux because you know you have some. Uh, I, it slips my mind right now what team it was, uh, but it was like they only played uh, was four or five games in the regular season, and, you know, they didn't even get a chance to get it battle-tested and, and actually get to play most of these games. So that would be great to hear, you know, uh, that to, to be a voice in the future. And speaking of that, you know, so how, how does that work? You know, I don't, I don't know how to put that into it, but how does that work to prevent like that uh, from Uh current.
6: Yeah, I think it's a couple things. One is the amount of people that you're trying to manage. Um, We're not against having 90 teams in our league because we don't like women's football. We're against doing it because it is virtually impossible to manage that many teams, that many people, and to enforce it. I feel like I'd have to have a staff, being talked about my staff of 20. I feel like we'd have to have a staff of uh, 60 to manage that many teams uh, and keep them accountable to the rules of the league. So, one of the things is to just be smaller, just have a more controlled group of people um, so that they can achieve the things you want to have. But the other thing is financially, we're going to make it viable to travel to away games. So our ownership committee is forming right now, and one of the first things that they have to do is, propo- is bring a proposal to the league leadership on revenue sharing. How are they? What are they going to give the road team every time they show up to a home game? And what does each team need to put up in order to have available if they were to, God forbid, to, uh, Forfeit. The other thing is, if you do forfeit in this league, you have to reapply for entry into the league. And that application process means a 100% ownership vote as well as a 100% vote from both our board and our executive team. So, those are the things that we are doing to prevent it. Beautiful,
3: beautiful. And so I, hey, listen, I, o, O.J., we, we've had you on so many times. You know, the passion that you, that you come with. And, you know, I, I I got a lot of faith in what you are So I, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, I definitely agree with a lot of things that you guys are saying. I, mean, I think a lot of it has been just, you know, some, some leagues have just had too many teams and just the forfeits is just disheartening to watch, especially seeing the popularity is growing around the
2: world,
3: not in the U.S., around the world, and so uh, my last is, you guys are starting to, uh, how are you guys going to start capitalizing on that, uh, That you know, you're starting to get a little, get, gain a little ground with popularity, and you're starting to also get some eyes from the NFL teams that are fighting, you know, uh, NFL football, football, uh, you know, uh, Camps and things like that, and then also fighting see how they run. How are you guys capitalizing on that in the future as far as maybe a partnership with some of those teams?
0: Um, we're yeah. already building a, a rapport um, with <clears throat> the teams that are in close proximity of our uh, market areas. And we have relationships with NFL players associations and, you know, just collaborating and using our resources um, to help build our brand and to build relationships and to bring awareness to uh, what we're doing. And, um, you know, a lot of the people that we're meeting, you know, they, they believe in it and um, they're excited about it as well. I'm, I'm speaking of uh, NFL players. Um, they're excited about it as well, and they're willing to jump in and and help however they can. And I think it brings uh, validity to our product, and we're excited about, you know, seeing where this takes us.
6: Yeah, and I think the other thing is we're bringing those people into our organization. Like, if you think about how many people we have involved in this, it is a very inclusive organization. This isn't a top-down run league, like, we are saying if you have somebody who can help women's football, come help us. Bring your talent. So, for example, our board, uh, Lifford Hobley, who is the head of the um, NFL alumni chapter here in Dallas, is playing a huge part in our relationship with the NFL. Um, and so are all the NFL women who are part of our organization. So we're, to Kay's point, we're leveraging relationships. Uh, but the biggest thing for us to have a relationship with legitimate organizations is to be freaking legitimate, <laughs> is, is to, be, to, to get out here with a brand that people actually could put their logo next to. Um, and that's what we're working on in year one. We, by the summer of 2019, we need to be pretty enough, strong enough, legitimate enough to where other brands want to put their brands next to ours. Awesome. Right. Awesome. Even in the middle of negotiations
0: when you mentioned, you know, when, when we mentioned, well, this corporation is on board and or we've solidified a partnership with, you know, you start to hear and see light bulbs going off and it's like it adds validity to what we're doing and it almost makes it um, more exciting for them to want to be a part
3: of it. Yeah, and you know what? I, I I I see that with you guys, and um, when I first heard about it, man, I was because I I felt some of the things that you guys said. I mean, it was some things that are just. So I'm looking forward to seeing the new blood. I'm looking forward to seeing this, you know, start to get rolling, and you know, you know, we're going to cover it and we're going to be involved in it. So I appreciate you guys for coming on. Thank you guys again.
0: Thank you.
1: So well, let's have uh, Mackenzie, you guys, uh, finish up here for with you guys. Pick your brains, and then uh, we appreciate you guys making the time today.
6: Hello, ladies. How are we doing today? Hey. Mackenzie, what's up? How you doing? Okay, so my question, uh, and just
7: a quick one here. So you guys kind of had already talked about um, your model as far as the teams that you were wanting to select. Um, was there any other specific reason why you wanted to just focus on those, um, those teams alone? Or was it just uh, from your guys' based on your playing experience, based on um, just to kind of give it one first like centralized um, demographic? Like, um yeah, if you want to deep, dive deeper into that, that'd be great.
6: Yeah, I think there's a couple things, you know, the, <laughs> The, the brand, we, we tried as much as possible to start with brands that were familiar, with ownership groups that were familiar. We actually invited a bunch of teams, um, a lot of people may not know this, to Dallas. We had about 12 teams physically in Dallas for an informational session and another 12 teams probably on the phone prior to mm-hmm. even locking the league. So we pitched this to the people uh, that we thought fit the model. And when I say fit the model, I mean those owners who are willing to work extremely hard to improve their brand, um, those owners who were look willing to look at their budget and potentially do things a little differently to make sure that they played whoever was in this league. Uh, it all kind of started from the top. Are, were, you know, Do we have the ownership groups who – are willing to work their ass off for the next three years to get to our shared goal, and so that, that, that's 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 kind of where we started. And then the other one was like legitimate business. There's a lot of women's football teams aren't even like five hundred one c threes or llcs or partnerships or even sole proprietors. They're just figurative things. Um, so it was it was, is it a legit business? Is it being run by somebody who's enthusiastic? Who can help us pull off what we want to pull off for the players and then two what are where are they in vicinity to other teams so that it didn't cost teams you know an arm and a leg to go play them those those are the three major things we looked at
7: okay very good very nice. so um, just to I guess kind of bounce back onto that same question, um, I know I, we have talked on Facebook about um, the possibility of Adding, having added the Midwestern teams, um, was the Omaha situation? Was that kind of um, was that kind of sudden? Like, how did you guys kind of come about adding them to your overall team scheme?
6: It was, it was kind of sudden. We 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 really looked far south um, and far west, and when we saw Omaha and what they were doing, particularly like their military. Um, uh, Connections How many people were engaged Who their leadership is And the experience of their leadership Um, We thought Let's let's go have a real conversation With them now Because we know that there are going to be A couple teams um, In that Midwest market That we really needed to connect with And it just absolutely aligned All the things um, That the Nighthawks wanted we want. Um, so uh, it just it just kind of seemed to be a sweet spot. And then from a travel perspective, um, from a budget perspective, it works out for them and it works out for us. Um, they kind of knew what they were up against in terms of having Denver and some Texas teams around them. Uh, and they were absolutely willing uh, to sacrifice in order to be able to play some of the best teams on the West Coast. Uh, but also be in a league that that fits their um, their model.
7: Wonderful. Well, ladies, that's, that's actually all the questions I have for you because everybody had uh, already asked all the ones that we all kind of had the same kind of questions about. So we do appreciate you guys coming on, and I look forward to seeing how the league comes about. I'm actually really excited to see um, how you guys get started and how you guys, you know, start off the
1: 2019 season. Cool. that's really excited. We truly appreciate your support. Odessa, Kay, I really, really appreciate you guys just coming on today and making the time. I know, Kay, you're very busy, and Odessa, always busy. Um, So I wanted just to really kind of just get an idea. Everybody's so excited about what is it going to be, what is not going to be. You know, I just wanted to get everybody, you know, For you guys to come on and have everybody on the group board to kind of just hear your voices to what what it is versus what it's speculated to be. And so uh, we're actually very excited for the model. I know, you know, doing my own thing with business and you guys have done business in yourselves and stuff like that. So, you know, things are not going to be overnight. Uh, Reality is going to sink in as soon as April shows up in 2019. And uh, the case point logistics are going to come into challenges but the overall, you know, the survival of one season is going to really give you a perspective for year two. And then obviously going forward, year two is going to give you a real, you know, foothold for year three. So we're really excited for the WNFC to kind of launch.
0: Thank you so much.
6: Yeah, man, I appreciate you guys. I think that we are uh, we're working our t- tails off. So um, I know that there's going to be unexpected things that happen. But some of those unexpected things are going to be freaking amazing. So um, we are going to deal with the challenges, but we're also going to deal with the triumphs. And um, with the people that we have involved, you know, I know you spoke about Kay, but there's there is not a better commissioner um, that it, that we could ever have representing women's football uh, than Kay. And so um, I'm just I'm just really excited to be doing this.
1: All right, Kate, just, just to make sure you don't get a black eye like Adele does. Just got to stay off that radar. Let's figure that out later. But. <laughs> but thank you guys for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll keep in touch, you guys, as we get closer into training camp. Tryouts are going on right now. Uh, where can they uh, go individual teams or they go to the uh, WNFC Facebook page or uh, or they go to the website?
6: Uh, you can go, you guys can go to WMC football on Facebook or WNFC football on the website. Uh, soon yes. all of our teams are going to be driven from the same website. So we're working on monetizing and building the website out for the next 30 days. So that'll be something that'll be cool too, but uh, you can go to either one of those. To get a whole
1: all right. So, uh, Kay, Thank you again. Uh, Odessa, always a pleasure to have you on and uh, looking forward to 2019 as WNFC launches with the whole women's football world in the summer. So thank you guys for coming. I appreciate it. Thank you again.
0: Thank you for
1: having us. Thank you. Step your game up, baby. Okay, Troy, you got a challenge there. Hashtag step your game. Let's go uh, NFL week five here. Um, What did you think of Earl Thomas, Troy? Uh, Mackenzie, Troy, and uh, Earl Thomas uh, literally – Bad break for the guy, but uh, I don't know if it's immature with the, you know, the bird handed out out there on stance, but uh, it worked. I guess it worked for him.
3: Well, uh, you know what? So his agent reached out to the Seahawks to see if they can renegotiate. The Seahawks said they didn't want to talk. This was in February and then, you know, come uh, April, they did the same thing and then over the summer they did the same thing and you know, watching uh, his fellow—I um, guess you would call them—legionnaires. Uh, I don't know, Legion and Boom. Uh, you know, characters—they're—they're all—you know—gone away. Sherman got paid, and all the—all the things that Earl Thomas has done for that organization, they at least—I guess he felt like they at least owed him a sit down. Um, and when they refused to do that, I guess he felt slighted. And. You know, rightfully so, because at the end of the day, you know, we as fans, we look at it and we say, um, you know, we want to see these guys play out there and they're great players. And we wish they would just kind of go ahead and play the game. But these guys are also in a business. And so when the NFL is done with you and these owners are done with you, they just, they basically discard you and then, you know, uh, set you off the pasture. And these guys want to be taken care of. And then Earl Thomas, he felt like, you know, they didn't do that. So, you know he's an emotional dude, and I, 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 you know what I liked was that Pete Carroll when they asked him um, what he thought about it, I mean that was really his sentiments. He said, "Listen, you know he's an emotional guy, and you know when a guy's season's over and things happen like that, you do things at the spur of the moment." And I don't think that you know um, Earl, I don't think uh, Pete Carroll's taking it personal. Um, you know what he's doing, he understands it's also a business, but. I thought it was it was telling, especially with the climate right now, with Le'Veon Bell holding out, and so so you're starting to see players kind of rebelling against, um, you know, uh, these contractual agreements, and and they're finding kind of leverage, even though their players' association kind of signed away that leverage, you know, two seasons ago, but you still see it out there, and so you know I I like it in one respect because it shows that he does at least um, you know. He's, you know, he's emotional about it, and that he does care. And but you hate to see that because he's such a great player, and he did a lot for their organization. And you hate to see a bad breakup like that.
1: Uh, Mackenzie, the Browns do not rebound; uh, they come back to earth. So that was kind of reality check. May- the Mayfield excitement just uh, fizzles out for this past week. So we'll see how they go into next um, week.
7: To be honest. I really I don't think I can agree with you because even though No you know, the game wouldn't no, I I mean I'm only saying that because the way Baker Mayfield has had to stop it like step in as a rookie and basically take over the team why Tyrod Taylor's been hurt, um, and just helped to get the Cleveland Browns back on the map is why I don't quite agree with you. Yeah, they may lo they may have lost the game against the Raiders, but I, I am <laughs> Against my better judgment, I am actually a huge Baker Mayfield fan. There you um, go. I'm not too big of a yeah. I'm not too big of a fan of his college team, um, and a couple of my friends are probably going to inbox me later about that. But I am actually a huge Baker Mayfield fan because of the way that he's had to step up and show his leadership, and the way that he's pretty much carried the team to this now even record they have, even though you know, they now have one loss, one win, and a tie. So you know, just the fact that he's just the fact that he got drafted there and has, you know, done all the work in the preseason and shown that he's fully capable of stepping in right away, you know, after preseason after having only sat for that half a game half a game, I believe, and then to come back and just light up the football world like he has is why I don't quite think that he the like the Baker Mayfield effect itself is has fizzled out.
1: All right, guys, we got a couple minutes here before we shut down. Um, so, uh, Troy, what are we looking for this weekend? What's your uh, one-two games that you're looking for besides your Redskins game, of course, but what's the one-two games that we got to watch out for? Thursday night, I think it's kind of – I don't know if that's going to be exciting. It's probably going to be a shootout, I think, with uh, Luck and Brady. That's what I'm looking at. And, obviously, my Rams, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm on board now, 4-0, going to 5-0, should be good.
3: You know, um, I am pulling up my schedule real quick. Um, I am looking forward to watching this Atlanta-Pittsburgh game. Um, Pittsburgh is on a free fall right now. And you know what? Le'Veon Bell has kind of announced that he's going to come back uh, week seven during the bye week. So you want to see what Pittsburgh is going to do. It's going to be at home. Uh, Pittsburgh secondary is in shambles. Atlanta is red hot on offense. They can't stop scoring, you know, especially in the passing game. I'm definitely looking forward to that game. And look, the Rams—they're gonna. I'm looking forward to seeing if they're going to extend their their stronghold on the NFC West. They're going into Seattle. It's a tough place to play, but Seattle does not is not Seattle anymore. So we'll see if they still have the magic that's that's in uh, Century League Field. They're still going to have that crowd. But are the Rams The Rams right now, they just look like they're just too powerful on offense, defense, special teams. They just got it all going right now. Those are the two games I'm really looking forward to. Oh, and there was one more, the huge game, Jacksonville, Kansas City. Jacksonville's defense against Patrick Mahomes. Man, that's going to be that, – that's the game I need to see, you know, because, listen, Patrick Mahomes looked like a Hall of Famer in the first four games. I really haven't seen a better quarterback than him. That's including Brady and and Aaron Rodgers this season. Patrick Mahomes right now is leading the league. He's the MVP right now. A quarter of the season is finished up. Jacksonville looks like the best defense. These are the matchups that you want to see if you're an NFL fan. So those are the three matchups I'm definitely keeping my eye on for. All
1: right, McKenzie, we know you got your Cowboys on, on the mark as well, but what other key games are you recommending for this weekend?
7: Um, other than my Cowboys Texans, um, which I obviously am taking the Cowboys I'm actually taking them by three. Um, so it's gonna be a tight game, kinda like this Detroit this Detroit game was. Um, I'm seeing Minnesota at Philly. That one's gonna be that one's gonna be interesting to watch. Um, Carson Wentz against Kirk Cousins. will be I'm I'm kinda looking forward to that one. Um I I can't I don't think I can really pick a winner for this one quite yet. Um I feel like I have to support like, at least the first, first quarter and a half to really pick a winner out of that one. Um, I got Green Bay at Detroit. I'm picking Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers by 10, um, especially after the Lions having fell to my Cowboys and in a very tight game, mind you. Um, I just think Aaron Rodgers has too many outside weapons, and we all know how Aaron Rodgers lights up magic just out of nowhere. So I, I don't think the Lions are going to be able to defensively stick with them um, for the long haul of the game. I also have I also have Cleveland uh, hosting the Ravens. I am actually taking Baker Mayfield to pull the upset.
1: To be Whoa. over Mayfield. Flacco. Over yes. Flacco? Yes, I am.
7: Absol- oh no! I'm like, I'm serious of a heart attack. Absolutely. Oh, my God. By 10 oh, man, I'm going to Yes, I know. yes I know. No, I'm running this down. This is, this is
1: under- salty, salty.
7: Look, it's not salt, okay? It's just, like I said, I'm a Baker Mayfield <laughs> fan, okay? All righty, then. I believe the man. in picking the underdog. He's the man. He
1: all right, the man. then. Uh, all right. You heard it here. Flacco's going down. Mayfield's going up. Browns get a win. You heard it here. All right, so, guys. You um, heard it here. All right, guys, uh, Kay, uh, thanks to Kay Mich- uh, Mitchell and uh, Odessa Jenkins as well as Jennifer King for coming in, kind of giving us some insights on her journey uh, into the Carolina Panthers internship as well as her championship overseas and in the States. And then um, Kay Mitchell and uh, Odessa Jenkins giving us the insights on the WNFC as it's coming up on full bore here for 2019. So um, catch us all on Facebook.com, Great Beauties as well as you can go to the Hub at Twitter as well, Gridiron Beauty. And don't forget to uh, subscribe to our Apple podcast as well, the best podcast covering women's American football and NFL news here. And we didn't get to the women's news and notes, but you can go to the Hub on Facebook.com, Gridiron Beauties, and get that weekly breaking news, inspiring stories. Check it out. And we are literally over, I think, 6,500 now. So awesome job, everybody. So we'll see you guys next week as we talk college football, NFL, and a lot more women's uh, football news. So uh, for Mackenzie Brooks, Oscar Lopez, the absent Louise Bean, Holly Custis, and Troy Wilson here, we'll catch you here next week. Have a great night, everybody.